the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5, 6-8 Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand, and I will be your host. I thought of these verses recently when considering what is going on in Canada, and specifically what the Canadian church is facing. We have heard very little about uh, the plight of the Canadian church here in America. We have heard very, very little in terms of our major organs, our major uh, mouthpieces that tell us what's going on in evangelicalism. For some reason that escapes me, the Canadian church's suffering in the last two years, roughly, just about, has basically been completely ignored by many mainstream Christian news organizations, voices, and leaders. And um, I'm I'm at a loss for words, (laughs) really, when thinking about this situation, which uh, long-time or even short-time antithesis listeners will know, does not often happen. But I'm at a loss for words, because let me just put it as plainly as I can. Our brothers and sisters in Canada are suffering. They have been suffering for some time. This didn't just start happening. This has been happening in Western Canada. We know that James Coates, a faithful and gifted preacher, was imprisoned for continuing to gather his church in a season of lockdown. We know that in roughly eastern Canada, Jacob Rayom has uh, accrued, I don't know, something like $50 million of fines for continuing to keep his church open. We know that Tim Stevens was put in prison in Canada. We know that Steve Richardson has come under fire for continuing to gather his church. And there are other brothers and other congregations we could mention. The names I mentioned just a minute ago, I should say, are men who have stood with fellow elders. In other words, there are names that have led their churches to gather, and we honor them rightly, just like in the Bible. There are different names named of honorable men, so we're not scared about that. That's not wrong to do. But I do hasten to add that these men have not acted alone, that there have been fellow elders who have stood with them and worked to lead the church, including in seasons where some of those men I mentioned were imprisoned, and so they literally could not preach to their congregations. Suffice it to say this, there is a faithful work going on in Canada 
right now. You, most likely, are hearing barely a whisper about it in America, or certainly beyond America. But this is a time of major testing in Canada. And what is happening in Canada is very likely coming to the rest of us in North America. It may be at a faster pace at present, but if you are paying any attention to what is happening to faithful men who are honoring the New Testament's call to gather the church and not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, Hebrews 10.25, you will know that this is likely headed our way in America and certainly in other parts of the world. It's already happening in other parts of the world. This is no easy season. Christians do disagree about some of the particulars of how to handle uh, the current public health crisis, and, and uh, let that be said. I've said that many times on the podcast, and I repeat it here. I don't think that the men I mentioned are the only men who love God, love the Word of God, preach the Word of God, care for the sheep in Canada. And I would even include some who have not taken the measures that those men have in that number. So I, I don't want to portray anyone who would have a slightly different position as if they are a rank unbeliever. That is not the case. But it is the case that we are called to honor faithful men who suffer on behalf of the cause of Christ from the Scripture. We need to be praying continually for the Canadian Church. I think of Colossians 4.18 along these lines. The Apostle Paul writing from prison, says this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Colossians 4.18 teaches us that where Christians are suffering, we should be remembering them. And Paul doesn't mean pull over by the side of the road and have a precious moment there by yourself thinking about me maybe pulling out a locket with my picture in it. What Paul means is pray for me. Don't forget me. Please, by all means, as I suffer for the cause of the gospel, pray for me. Don't fail to intercede for me. I need God's strength. I am going through terrible testing. I am in an awful place because of the message of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't regret it one bit. Paul is a man who lives a regret-free life in terms of his preaching ministry. He doesn't regret anything. He doesn't ask for God to pull him off the front lines. Paul goes on four major missionary journeys, as many of us will know. He ends one, and he takes up another. He is like that epic warrior that you'll hear about in different conflicts in history who leaves a major uh, uh, time of service in the military and then immediately reenlists, immediately goes back on tour, immediately joins the fray once more. That is the spirit of the Apostle Paul. What a unique spirit. And what a unique spirit in our time, when so many believers are doing everything they can not to be within 20 country miles of the front lines, 
I don't deride people uh, who who would not wish to bring unnecessary suffering on themselves. I don't. But I would just say this. If the gospel is going to advance, if disciples are going to be made, if sinners are going to be won, someone has to lead out. Someone has to go to the front lines. Someone has to get shot at over and over again. Someone has to seek to enter enemy territory in order to to make disciples, in order to see people one to faith in Christ, in order to strengthen those who are already Christians, and in order to gather the sheep who desperately need shepherds. Those shepherds are not perfect. They're not Christ himself. But the sheep are supposed to have shepherds who who gather them and who perform the duties of ministry on their behalf for them, to them. God has not given us any asterisks in the Word of God, in the New Testament, that would tell shepherds, you really should shepherd unless it costs you, unless it's hard, unless people dislike you, unless there's division in the church over different policies, as there are in these days in 2022 and have been in 2021. A lot of us have sympathy real sympathy, rich sympathy for pastors who are going through crises and challenges they did not foresee and they did not ask for. And all those pastors really want to do is preach the word and shepherd the flock and make disciples as God would lead. But here we are, you don't choose your times, you don't choose your hour, you certainly don't appoint the hour of your testing. That is up to God. That is what God does. That is is what God has done for the Canadian church. Its hour of testing is upon it. If you gather the flock, you will pay. So, we need to pray continually for the Canadian church today. I urge you, listening to this podcast as a believer, this humble little episode, I urge you to add the Canadian church to your prayer list. And I would encourage you to pray specifically for men like James Coates, Jacob Rayom, Tim Stevens, Steve Richardson, Aaron Rock, Joseph Boot, and others. There's, I'm sure, many I am not uh, mentioning here that deserve a mention. But there at least are some names that you can put on your prayer list and pray for regularly, again, in the appointed time. Remember their chains. Remember their trials. And as you do so, know secondly this. The Canadian church is suffering. This isn't pretend. This isn't make-believe. This isn't imaginary. This isn't something these men have caused because they're hopped up about congregational worship and they should really back it down. This is because there is a real devil who, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, prowls around like a roaring lion. Why does he do that? Does he do that because it's fun to prowl and just leave people by their lonesome, but sort of menace them as he passes them on the sidewalk? No, the devil has a set aim, and it is very clearly this, devouring people. The devil will devour you. He won't devour you literally. He will devour you spiritually. The devil will work against you every single way he can in your life to to get you to follow him and not to follow God. 
And the devil loves to attack faithful ministers, faithful churches, faithful Christians. The Canadian church is suffering the attacks of the devil. I am not privy to the high counsel of God. I do not know where all these plans go in terms of a month-by-month progression. But I know this, friends. The Canadian church is suffering, and it is suffering because it is being faithful to the Word of God. Faithful men are being, dare I say it, apostolic. They are not closing the church. They are leading the flock together. I saw a picture of saints meeting in the woods. I believe it was in Quebec. I vacationed a few times in Quebec growing up in Maine. I'm sure that's some of where my affinity for the Canadian church comes from. I feel like I'm half Canadian, played basketball and baseball in Canada as a, as a boy, new friends in Canada, skied in Canada, grew up downhill skiing, loved downhill skiing, thankful my parents uh, allowed me that blessing. Far from those slopes these days, <laughs> but nonetheless, I know that there are saints as others do as well, who are gathering in, I think the temperature I saw listed on social media was something like minus 20. It was a freezing temperature. And and faithful believers were meeting in the outdoors because this so-called public health crisis forced them out of their church building. There are not even words to really describe this state of affairs. But my point here under this second element to know about the Canadian church is that it is being attacked by the devil and it's being attacked, hear me clearly, for righteousness sake. It's not being attacked because Coates and Raom and others have played this poorly and played this wrongly. And if everybody would just sit down and stop gathering and use an inside voice and do everything that um, the government wants you to do, all this would magically melt away. We submit to government as much as we possibly can. We don't look for excuses out of obedience and submission to government as believers. Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. But we also know that we must obey God rather than men, Acts 5, 29. And we have a catalog, a list, a long line of men and women in Scripture who did not obey Caesar, who were forced to disobey Caesar, in fact, go against what Caesar wanted, in obeying God, and being faithful to God. This is exactly the position we should note that a roaring lion would like to put us in. It'd like to put us in a pickle. It'd like to divide the church, which is what has happened. The church should be standing behind faithful congregations in Canada, backing them publicly, praying for them, sharing word, all over social media about the Canadian church's plight and its crickets. Well, the devil has done a lot of work in the last few years, and the devil wants people to devour. What are we supposed to do with regard to the devil? What are Canadian Christians supposed to do right now, given these circumstances, given what the Apostle Peter tells us is the case? 1 Peter 5, verse 9. Resist him. Resist the devil. Resist him. Firm in your faith, 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This was written almost two millennia ago by Peter, and these same conditions apply today in 2022. Verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Canadian Church is suffering. The Canadian Church is going through what Christians, being faithful to God in numerous places and times throughout history, have navigated. But this suffering is for a little while. And then comes the God of all grace. Then comes the experience of the divine restoration, confirmation, strengthening, and establishing of the church. The Canadian church is suffering, but God is faithful. This leads to our third truth to know about the Canadian church today. It's growing. Huh? It's growing. Hallelujah. That's not an ironic gesture right there on my part, verbally. Praise God. There was a testimony that recently popped up out of uh, Realms Church, and there was a woman who was addicted to drugs, living a promiscuous lifestyle by her own testimony, far from God, headed for death, uh, despairing in the course of the response to a real virus that has plagued people. And so this woman was invited to church, to Trinity Bible Chapel in Windsor, Ontario. She went to church. She heard the preaching of God. She went to a prayer meeting. She experienced the care of the saints, and she got saved. God saved her. God gloriously won her back from the darkness to the light of Jesus Christ. So hear this. The Canadian church is growing against all the opposition of Satan, against the plans of the devil. There is a greater plan at work. Jesus said to us in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What Jesus said almost 2,000 years ago obtains today. There are no new conditions. There is no tweak that has happened to the plan of God and to the words of Christ, to his promise that he will build his church. There is, there is no editing of that verse in Matthew 16. The Canadian church is growing just as the global church is growing, even though the days are evil, even though many people are suffering, even though there is much that we lament and decry and stand against, even though we're witnessing evil act after evil act all around us. Nonetheless, sinners are being saved. Disciples are being made. Christians are growing. Pastors are standing. And because of that, the sheep are drawing nearer and nearer to God. I give thanks to God for faithful men who, by the grace of God working in them, are gathering the sheep. 
They are not tucking tail and running. And they are not forsaking the the assembling of ourselves together as congregations. But these faithful men are recognizing that we are in a time like the 1660s in England, when there was public health crisis, and there was a tyrannical government that the true church faced. And the Puritans in the 1660s, staring back at the Clarendon Code, did all they could to continue gathering the flock, defying tyranny, and offering witness to Jesus Christ. The best known of them in that period is John Bunyan, of course, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress while in prison. How's that for redemption of the time? (laughs) You and I whine about a hard afternoon, and John Bunyan spent 12 years in prison and missed much of the childhood of his children, his numerous children, because he was in prison for Christ. And yet his experience and his testimony echoes into the current day, about 360 years later. Bunyan, like John Owen, like many Puritans, continued faithfully preaching the truth amidst opposition, amidst persecution, amidst fierce pushback from professing Christians, which is exactly what has cropped up today and which constitutes for many of us the toughest part of the suffering we endure in this world. We're not all at the same level, let that be said. Some suffering is small, some suffering is great. But just about the toughest element of suffering in this world is the suffering that is caused by professing Christians, some of whom are real believers, but who stand against you for whatever reason. I recently heard a message at the Truth and Love Conference in Houston from John MacArthur that made exactly that point. In fact, MacArthur put it even more strongly than I did and said that is the toughest suffering, the suffering that comes when believers stand against you and uh, do not stand with you. But hear this amidst all the chaos, all the difficulty, all the pain, which is real, the church is growing. Jesus is building his church. And the naysayers who mount cases against those men who fearlessly and bravely stand against tyranny, those naysayers need to recognize that their cases are not working, and that, in fact, they are working against God. They are working against the progress of the gospel. There would not be a testimony from the woman baptized by the church Raom leads in Ontario. Jennifer would never have offered testimony of salvation if that church had not been gathered for worship of the living Christ, the one who died for our sins, who rose again for our vindication, who ascended to the Father's right hand on high, and is now ruling, preparing for his return to earth. Now is when the harvest is being gathered. Now is when the fields are white for harvest. And there are faithful churches, there are faithful bodies of elders, there are faithful pastors who are gathering the flock in order to strengthen the found and call in the lost. God is doing his work. And your blog 
doesn't have nothing to do with it. Praise God that his work of grace is greater than any chorus of criticism from whoever wishes to offer it, whether they be a born-again believer, as some of them are, or whether they be a false Christian, as some of them will prove themselves to be. In fact, Scripture teaches us repeatedly, Old and New Testament, that it is times of trial and suffering and persecution when genuine converts to Christ show themselves, stand out. We have a category for people who, when times of difficulty arise, don't stand as they should. In fact, we know that's all of us at some level. And yet, one of the ways the Lord purifies and exposes, in a positive sense, the true church are these times of great difficulty. These are times when it becomes clear who really wants to follow Jesus, who counts it a privilege and a blessing to gather for worship, who desperately wants to serve the body. Maybe, maybe they, they will never be a pastor or an elder or a minister or something like that, but they, they desperately want to gather with the whole church and, and serve it in some way and encourage fellow believers and pray together and hear the word and sing the word and pray the word and have the word proclaimed to them by a godly man. This is a time when that kind of Christian, which is the true kind, stands out all the more. And this is a time when those who have claimed the name of Christ but have so little interest in the suffering church and are doing everything they can not to experience hardship in the name of Jesus, this is a time when they are shown for who they are as well. We understand that there are believers who waver, but we also understand that those who set themselves in opposition to the true work of God, mediated through faithful churches that don't neglect the assembling of themselves together, Hebrews 10.25, show themselves as well. And let us all be sobered by that. The New Testament does not only comfort, as we so often hear. The New Testament offers glorious comfort. I was reading a comforting passage just minutes ago, and we need it. We claim it. We must have it. But the New Testament also warns. And there are people who think they are a believer, but who are exposed in times of trial. Our ultimate word to them is, is not censure or or one of judgment or anger, something like that. Our ultimate word to them is, repent of your sins and be born again in the name of Jesus Christ and leave behind a false Christianity that operated great under ideal living conditions when no one challenged your faith, but now looks like it is withering on the vine. We could all be in such dire circumstances. The hour is late. If you sense that you may not be sure in your profession, that you have thought you were a Christian, but you have really no zeal for the church, no desire to gather, no wish to, in any form, 
experience hardship for the name of Jesus Christ, examine yourself. Know this, God is a good God, and he will receive true faith in the name of Christ and true repentance. Let me put it even clearer. Anyone of any kind, anyone in any category uh, who, who sees rightly that this is, a, this is a rough day and age, now is the hour of salvation. Don't delay. It may well get harder in times to come. Prepare yourself for eternity. This is my fourth and final element of the podcast. Ready yourself for winter. None of us has any idea what is coming in the next year, two years, five years, ten years. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We've all been rebuked in our planning for future days in the last few years. God has done much good work in the midst of much evil in our world. Ready yourself for winter. If you are not a Christian, now is the time to trust Christ. Now is the time to repent of your sins. If you have been um, wandering, you are a Christian. Now is the time, whether you're in Canada, America, wherever you may be listening to this humble little podcast, now is the time to get serious with God. Now is the time to read the Word daily, to wake up early, to start your day with 15, 20, 30 minutes in the Word of God. Read it from cover to cover if you have no other idea what to do. Now is the time to begin a serious prayer life where you pray for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes a day. You set aside time. You go for a walk. Uh, you shut yourself up in your closet. I don't know. Do whatever you want in terms of the conditions of your prayer time and your reading of the Word of God. Choose the hour that works for you. God has given us marvelous freedom there, as He does in so much of our lives, and we thank Him for it. He's such a kind God. But the point is, now is the time to get serious. Don't wait to get serious. It's going likely to get colder out here. It's going to get harder. It's not going to be easier to stand against a fallen order. Winter is coming if it is not already upon us. Get yourself ready. Take Christ seriously. Take your marriage seriously. Take your children seriously. Take your vocation and calling seriously. This is an hour of testing. There is a bell that is ringing, it seems like, at all times in our world. An alarm going off. Use it. Don't bemoan it. Don't wish it away. It's not wrong to want it to to go quiet. But it will go quiet in God's timing. You don't know when. You don't know if. You know this. The alarm is being sounded, and today is the day of salvation, and today is the day to draw near to God, and know that he will draw near to you. In conclusion, remember the words of Christ, the risen Christ, to the church in Smyrna, one of the seven churches addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. Revelation 2.10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Canadian Christians, hear me. No biblical voice, no Christ figure himself, 
but riffing off of this passage. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. If you are thrown into prison, as you may be, as I may be, you are being tested. For ten days, it may be that you have tribulation. Ten days is effectively a a kind of death sentence in the ancient world. Ten days of punishment would bring you very likely to the end of your life. So this is a severe trial that Christ is speaking of in Revelation 2.10. Nonetheless, hear this. Be faithful unto death. In order to do this, Christian, or man or woman who is hearing this podcast or sermons or watching YouTube videos and is starting to take their spiritual state seriously, in order to be faithful unto death, you can't do it in your own strength. You must not try. You must not think that this means heap up good works done by yourself and and God at the end of days will smile at you. You must think when you hear, be faithful unto death, I can't be in myself. But in Christ, by the grace of God, powering me through, the Spirit living in me, hour by hour, minute by minute, I can. I can be what Romans 8 says Christians are, more than a conqueror. And when you are living that kind of victorious Christian life, framed in the right way, in the terms I just framed them, not in some counterfeit, when you are leading that kind of day-to-day life, know this, you are headed for reward. You are headed for eternity. And Jesus himself, he promises here to Smyrna and to us, will give us the crown of life sooner than you know. You will be looking at the risen and exalted Christ. You will be before him, but he will not be looking at you in order to condemn you and throw you with the devil into the lake of fire, which is the sure end of Satan at the end of all time. You will not be thrown there. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have turned from your sin, and by his grace you have been faithful, not perfect, but faithful, Jesus will look you in the eye and he will hand to you your crown. He will not refuse you. He will not turn you away. He will not slap you on the cheek because of what a bad Christian you've been. On the last day, crown of life signals reward from God. And Jesus himself, mark this, loves to give rewards to faithful Christians. God bless you now and in your hour of testing. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.